All right, we are in Ephesians. Uh, we're on page nine of our workbook. <clears throat> we're going to try to get through to page, you keep saying that, but every week I'm doing it. Um, we're going to try to get through to page 13, so that should, that we should be able to do that. We've been covering about four pages every week, so we should be okay. Um, and uh, obviously we're looking to do point three and point four and point five. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and just uh, let's stand. I'm going to read uh, a few verses here and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump in just to remind us of where we are. Ephesians chapter two. Uh, and we're going to look at verses. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's read two through seven. Here we go. I'm going to read verse one. And you have and you hath he quickened and were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of obedience. Among them also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, whereby nature uh, we were uh, 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 children of wrath, even as others, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he had loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, Father, we are thankful uh, for your word this morning. Uh, may you teach us, may you guide us, may it be of your words and not of my own. Uh, Lord, uh, we are thankful for that grace. We are thankful for the but. Uh, Lord, we know what we were, but we know what we can be uh, if we submit to you. And we do love you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, what's going on here uh, as we continue our walk through Ephesians? The point that I think that we're really going to try to make today is very simply this. You need to understand your position in Christ. Okay, you need to understand your position. And the reason why I say that is because there is a other side of that that can be dangerous not to understand. And what I mean by that is this. Your position, your place, your identity in Christ, and your condition, your performance and state are different. We got to understand that. That's going back to that whole justification, sanctification stuff, okay? Yes, the day you get in Christ, your position has changed. No doubt about it. However, the day you get in Christ did not change your condition from an earthly standpoint. You still got a flesh problem, you still will sin, and you still got issues you got to deal with. Just because you're saved now don't mean that all just went away. It went away from God's perspective because he cast your sins as far as east from the west. Praise the Lord. Amen. But it did not go away because y'all know you still struggle with a lot of that stuff, don't you? We all do. Okay. Who you are, your position versus what you do, your performance. How we receive our position and what we do with it are different things. And so uh, we want to kind of walk through that uh, over the course of this week and next week. In this dispensation that we are living in, and I want to refer to chapter number three in verse number two, where he calls this the dispensation of grace of God. Okay, so we're going to use biblical words, even if people don't like it or don't think that they're correct. I'm not worried about what people think. I'm worried about what the Bible says, okay? We are living in the dispensation of grace by the words of Paul. He stated that, okay? So in this dispensation, we have a position that has been granted freely. And if you are in Christ, you have this position. And then after you have this position, your performance should flow from it. Okay, let's be honest now, uh, and again, not trying to be the bearer of bad news or the, the, the guy who's calling stuff out, but 
But has it? Is it? Are we seeing that in the church house today as we go traveling from church to church? I think the issue we got is, is a lot of people are all for the position change that Christ gave us. People aren't all for what we now have to do. Because that requires us doing something. And you know, hey, come on now. Well, that, that we, we've taken it a little too far, you see. In times past, Paul's reminding us what we were. We've talked about this in, in, in the past already, but he, he, he wants us to take notice of the time elements regarding what you did. In the time past, you were, but now you are. And in the ages to come, this is what you're going to be. Hence the reason what you were, justification. What you are, sanctification. What you're going to be, glorification. It's almost like God wrote the book. It's almost like God knows what he's doing if we're just willing to listen. He continuously is hammering these points home so that you just can't miss it unless you don't know what you're looking for. Okay? In times past, you and I walked according to the position we were in. And that position is what we used to be. In that position, we were dead in sin. So therefore, while we were dead in sin, we were going to walk according to the course of this world. And the walk according to the course of this world was nothing at all that pleased God. None, in your flesh, you cannot please God. So when you're in that state, you cannot please... I don't care how good of a person you think you are. It don't matter how good you think you are. You could not please him. So all those good things you did don't matter. And you look at that and go, that stinks. Yeah, it does, but it's true. That's the reality. Okay? The reality is you are a sinner and God doesn't even see you. He don't hear your prayers. We've looked at this stuff. We've shown Bible verses to back it up. This isn't my opinion. He, he don't. He don't. So, you know, you're going along in life, something bad happens to you, and all of a sudden now you're a prayer. You're giving up God. Oh, Lord, please help me right now. The Lord's up there going, I don't even know you. Why, why am I? Why? I, I'm not going to hear the prayer of the unrighteous. And you think your prayers are going up, and he's like, nope. And we look at that and we think about that and we think about what we've taught about that and we think, that can't be right. Oh, it's right. It's definitely right. The Bible's very clear about that. You see, God doesn't start to hear your prayer until you are in Christ. Then, all of a sudden, now you see, now you've gotten yourself an open door. Now, all of a sudden, you can come boldly to the throne of grace and he will hear. But do know, he will only hear according to his will. He ain't going to hear just your cries for things you want. You, you see, that's not the way this works, okay? We got to understand what we were. We got to understand what we are, okay? We were, letter B, children of disobedience. What you were is children of disobedience. What you were was a child of wrath. You had the wrath of God abiding on you. John 3, 18. John 3, 36. If you want reference verses to go back that up. That's what you were. Which, as we've said before, and we'll say it again, means that you, we are not all children of God. That's incorrect. You don't become a child of God until you get in Christ. So if you're not in Christ, are you a child of God? No. So I don't know why we're, why we're throwing that stuff around. That's not true. Okay, what we were were children of disobedience. What we were was children of wrath. What we were is we were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, who is the devil. That is what we were. We were, in essence, children of the devil. And we look at that and we think about that and we go, that can't be. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. If it's not, then you need to tear out these four verses out of the Bible. Because that's exactly what Paul is letting us in on. Um, and other places, of course. 
Okay, in, 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 we need to make uh, the, the, the uh, real, we need to come to the realization that when we are in Christ, i.e. Ephesians chapter 1, when we are in Christ, something changed. Listen, let me repeat that. Something changed. And if your life didn't change, I'm going to ask, are you in Christ? Well, I come to church. I didn't ask you if you come to church. Anybody can come to church. Well, I, I tithe. I didn't ask you if you tithe. Anybody can tithe. Well, I'm a part of the children's ministry. I didn't ask you if anybody can do that. Well, I went to Malawi. I didn't ask you if you went to Malawi. Anybody can do that. What I ask you is, did something change? Did your life change? Did your objectives and the things that drive you, are they what drives you now? Or is it, are you being driven by what drives him? That's the difference. And let's be honest. Again, Try not to be the bearer of, uh, you know, trying to say we're better than everybody. I ain't saying that. I'm just saying it, it can happen even in here just as much as anywhere else. I'm just asking the question, is that's what's happening in Christianity? Because I don't see it. I don't see people who's had their lives changed. I, listen, hear what I'm saying on this. Billy didn't fix this for me now. It's all messed up. <laughs> Billy, that's it, man. You're fired. Okay. Um, stop paying him, will you? Okay, good. Do we pay him? No? Oh, well, we can't fire him then. Darn it. Okay. <laughs> listen. Listen. I got off track. That's what I get. See? That's what I get for doing that. What was I talking about? After, before I was picking on you, what was I talking about? Things have changed. Listen. I get, I understand, and I'm certainly not going to sit there and go, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Okay. okay. But just hear me out. Here, I don't think a church needs revival. If your church needs revival, you may have a problem. Why? Why do I got to kick you in the butt and get you back going in the way you should be? I would say that a truly transformed person doesn't need revival. That's what I would say. If you're truly transformed, you don't need me to kick your butt. The Holy Spirit's kicking your butt. If you need revival, man, man, I'd say, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you call a catch-22, you know? It's like this, right? I think you need to be in church, and I think missing church is a problem because it's going to cause you to go away. It just is. You know, one week, eh, two weeks, mm, three weeks, mm, four weeks, yeah, 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 I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't need church. You know, uh, I get that. So I, I understand that piece of it. However, what I would say is, but if you weren't in church for whatever reason for those three or four weeks, you shouldn't need a kick in the butt. You should still be going down the path you're going and excited to get back. You know, uh, I think we've got this kind of backwards, you know. Uh, obviously, this means that none of us were good people. None of us were good people because in the past tense, we were positionally walking according to the course of this world. And if that is the case, then none of us could have been in Christ. And if that's the case, none of us could have been predestined. And if that's the case, Calvinism is wrong. Hey, I'm just saying. Do what you want with that. Play with that however you want. I'm just saying. Something's up with that. Got to do something with that. Because if you were in Christ, if you were chosen before the, before, for the, before the foundation of the world to be predestined to be in Christ, then my question is, is when were you not in Christ? When did you get put in Christ? And when did you get taken out of Christ if you can lose your salvation? If you were in Christ, you were always in Christ. And if you remember back in chapter one, I gave you like five or six verses to say, hey, see, this is what we were. Either you were in or you weren't. 
It's that simple. If, if Calvinism and what they teach and the fundamentals of what they teach is correct, there's some things that don't add up. There's a whole lot of things that don't add up, but th- those are a few of them, and I ain't got time to get into all that again. But Okay, letter C. We're, we were, but now are. We like that, right? We are a change in position. We've had a change in identity. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. In other words, that was you, man. You were some of these things. You may not have been all of them. But you were some of these things. When he says, and such were some of you, he's not saying that you were all these things. He's saying, some of you were some of these things. But you were some of these things. All of us, you know, uh, listen, we might not all say that we were fornicators. We not, might not all say we were idolaters. But some of you are, and some of you are. You see, that's what he's saying. And he says, uh, uh, and such were some of you, but... You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Later in Ephesians 5, Lord willing, we'll get there, he kind of says the same thing. For this you know, no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man or an idolater had any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of dis- disobedience. But not ye, be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, i.e. remember what we talked about on Thursday night. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The question is, are you these things? Not before, but now. And listen, when Paul says that these things do not inherit the kingdom of God, don't jump to the conclusion to what he's saying is saved and unsaved. That's not what he's, why he's saying these things. The conclusion is, is, If you're saved, you shouldn't be still doing those things. Those things don't inherit the kingdom of God. Why are you doing them? That's the point he's making. A lot of people read that and think, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's not me. I'm saved. No, he's talking to the church. He's saying, hey, hey, these things are not what the children of God should be doing. Why are you doing them still? Why? Why why are you still engulfed in these these things? They don't inherit the kingdom of God. Why are you doing them? Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Getting saved is not your ticket punch, liberty in Christ card. Well, I'm saved. Yeah, I know I still do that, but you know, hey, hey, God, God, God knows my heart. You're right. God does know your heart, and you don't even understand what you just said. No, man, why are you continuing in that sin? Just because you got your ticket punched don't mean you get to continue in that. It doesn't mean God's not going to frown upon that. He is. He absolutely is. And he's absolutely going, what? why? Why are you continuing to do that? God forbid. Why would you continue to do that? Don't you know you're dead to sin? Why are you still living as if you're a sinner? Stop acting like the sinner you were and start acting like the saint you've been called to be. I really, really gets me going, man, when I'm driving down the street and I drive by a church, man, and they got on their little sign, hey, we're just a hospital for sinners. You don't understand church. You, you missed it. You missed it. If a church is a hospital for sinners, 
then that's not the, the, the kind of church I want to be a part of. No. It's not a hospital for sinners. Church is the place where you go to learn to be the saint you've been called to be. Paul never writes his letters and goes, to all the sinners who are in Christ. Is that what he says? No. He says to all those that are sanctified, to all those that are faithful. Like he's, he ain't reverting back to what you were and giving you a pass because that's just the way you are. Well, that's just, you know, that's, that's just Frank. And that's the problem. That's not the answer. That's the problem. You're right. That is just Frank. And that's the problem. Because it shouldn't just be that's just Frank. It should be that's Christ in Frank. That should be the answer. Make sense? Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. So we've already kind of talked about this, right? But God who is enriched in mercy for his great love where he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, or dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were his enemy, he died for us. Number four, A, but God chose foolish things. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, Paul says, For see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now remember chapter one, the, the high calling. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Okay? He says, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. You know what's the most foolish thing you're ever going to hear? That a lamb one day is going to defeat a dragon. That someone had to die on a cross for your sins. That's foolishness to the unsaved world. They don't understand that. They don't get it. It, it doesn't make sense to them. And God says, well, you know what, man? I just chose you the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. All those PhDs who think they're smarter than everybody else, here, I'm going to use the most simplest, stupidest thing to, to confound them. And he does. And he does. A lot of foolish people are saved by grace. It's not how well you teach it. They don't. They never did, and they never will. Because our opinions are going to follow after our own, uh, uh, our own wisdom. That's, once you state your opinion... Uh, I don't even know what I was about to say right there. Once you state your opinion, let me ask you, where did that opinion come from? You. It's your wisdom. Do you understand that? I mean, can, can we get to the place where we can just go, yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. We say, well, wait, but my, my opinion is God's opinion. Well, then it's not your opinion anymore. It's God's. You, you see what I'm saying? Okay? We've got to understand that. Whenever you make a statement, it came from somewhere. And I'll just say, let's just make it simple so we all can grab onto this. If your statement did not come from God, it's foolish. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care where you got your opinion from. I don't care what your opinion stated. It's foolish because it's your opinion. This is the point that is being made in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul goes on to say in the next chapter of 1 Corinthians, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. How many times have I heard 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 taught wrong? I mean, how many preachers have I heard say, hey, look at all those things that God's got for you. Yep. Just, just, just accept God, and, and he's got a whole lot of good stuff waiting for you. That, that's not what it says. Don't just read verse 9, continue the thought. Verse 10 says, but God will reveal them to you. 
That would be future. What does he say right there? Has revealed them to us. That means everything in verse 9, we can have now. We don't need to wait for this stuff. 1 Corinthians 3, well, okay, they are no longer hidden. God has revealed them to us in the revelation of the mystery. And, of course, that mystery is found here that we're talking about right now is found here in, in Ephesians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So that neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. We are soul winners. We're, we win people to Christ. I cannot make anyone do anything. Neither can you. All I can do is plant the seed. I can't save anyone. So, Going out, doing an outreach, coming back. Hey, how many did you get saved? Three, good, good, two, good, good. Raise your hands. Hey, seven got saved. See, why are you doing that? Think about it. Why are you doing that? First of all, how do you know that person biblically got saved? Just because you walked them through a prayer? How could you know in that moment? I'm being serious. How could you? You see, because true salvation comes by transformation. I've got to watch you now for the next couple of weeks, see, for the next two, three weeks, and see if true transformation took place. And at the end of the day, if you don't got a next couple of weeks because you passed away for whatever reason, that's up to God. It's out of my hands now. You understand? It's not my job to save anybody. I can't save anybody. What my job is to do is to be a vessel that is used to plant the seed. That's my job. It's not about how many people you won to Christ start telling it up. Oh, look at that, man. That guy there, man, he won a thousand people to Christ. Man, he's got a lot of crowns waiting for him. Well, first of all, how do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know that a thousand people came to Christ because of his efforts? I wouldn't even worry about that. What I would say is if he was truly preaching the gospel, it's more than a thousand people he won crowns for because he didn't save any of them. It's all the people he preached to him, even the ones that didn't listen. He still earned crowns. I'd rather have that number. I love the people who got saved, man. Praise the Lord. Amen. But do you understand what I'm saying? Like, we've just got such a wrong view of all this. Man, I've talked to, I've, I've preached the gospel to 15 people. Nobody ever listens to me, man. Nobody ever, I, I haven't never led anybody to Christ. Well, number one, my first question is, have you really actually been preaching to 15 people? Because let's be honest, if I, were to, if I were to ask you right now and to be, be before God right now, and I said to you, when's the last time you preached the gospel to somebody? Okay, how many of us truly, don't raise your hand, just sit there, okay, and listen. How many of us truly can say, I did that yesterday? I did it. How about two days ago? How about five days ago? How about a week ago? How about the last month? How about the last six months? How about the last year? If you're sitting there going, man, I haven't preached the gospel to anybody in the last year. <laughs> just know, <laughs> there's where your crowns are at. Preaching the gospel, winning people to Christ. Uh, and when I say winning people to Christ, what I mean is you're relaying the message so that they have the opportunity to be one. Because without the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ, nobody can be saved. Okay, I'm not saying you won them to Christ. I'm saying you were used as a vessel to bring them the message that did win them to Christ. You understand? How about, how about, are we all involved in building somebody else up in discipleship? Are we being built up in discipleship? It's not just being a Paul, it's being a Timothy too. How are we doing there? There's where other crowns are earned. That's just a reality, folks. It's not my thoughts. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Do what you want. I can't make anyone do anything. All I can do is plant the seed. It is God alone that brings forth life. So I take a seed and I throw it on the ground. Grow. Stupid seed. Come on, grow. Dumb seed. 
What grows the seed? The sun? The water? Who's the son of righteousness? What water are you? The, the, the water of the... It's God that does it. You can't grow up. You can't make life. Say, I'm a woman. Yes, I can. No, you can't. God's the one that takes that seed and that, that, that egg and puts them together. You didn't. Did you do something? Or did you reach down in there and go, here we go, I got it. No. God does it. You can't, there's a reason why we can't bring forth life. We're not God. Okay? It's the same thing from a spiritual life. Why would you think it's any different? You can't bring forth a spiritual life. Only God can. Stop worrying about all the people who you're not reaching because they're not listening. That's not your job. Your job is to preach it. And who listens, listens, and who doesn't, doesn't. Leave that up to God. Fair? I'm just telling you, man, that'll take the weight of the world off your shoulders if you understand that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There had no temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation always make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Listen, just do what you're called to do. Don't worry about what the response is being given back to you. God will give you, be able, be able to give you the ability to bear it. You say, man, man, when I start talking to people about Christ, man, they just get mad at me and they don't talk to me anymore and they spit in my face. What? Those who live godly will suffer persecution. Yeah. <laughs> just go into it already expecting that when you knock on the door, it's probably going to get slammed in your face. That'll make that so much more easier for you. Man, I don't like when people tell me that I'm a jerk and, and swear at me and slam their door in my face because I'm knocking on their door to talk about Jesus. Okay, I got a question. Did, did, when Jesus sent out the... the, the, the the, the, his disciples to go do the exact same thing, go knock door to door. Did he tell them, oh, don't do that, man, because people might knock. No, people might. What did he say? Hey, if they don't receive you, dust off your feet and move on to the next one. Yep. But you still got a reward for doing it. It's, it's, it's just very crazy to me. I'll tell you what, man, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons got no problem knocking on your door. You know how many letters I've gotten in the mail? See, the Jehovah Witnesses, I can't knock on your door now because of the whole COVID thing. Now I get letters in the mail. Anybody else? I get letters in the mail now from them. How many letters have you sent out to anybody? Because you, but I'm not knocking on a door. I'm afraid of that. Okay, can you send a letter to somebody? Can you do, can you do something? Instead of, please, I'm not trying to be down on anybody, man. Just hear your pastor's heart. Instead of doing nothing. Because let's be honest, you're lazy. You really don't care about other people. You really don't care that they're going to go to hell. By doing nothing, that's what you're saying. Whether you're saying it or not, and you go, oh, I, of course I can. Well, then why aren't you opening your mouth? Well, you know, Pastor, I don't like going to outreach. I don't like knocking on doors, man. That's, that't scares me. Okay. Can, can, can you get a bunch of letters in front of you, write personal letters to them and send it to them? Can you do that? You can always do something. Why are you doing nothing? Well, let me tell you why I'm doing nothing. Because I'm too busy doing what I want to do. That's why. I'm too busy doing what I want to do. Well, you know, I got to go to work. Right? I got to do that eight, nine hours a day. So there you go. There's half my day right there. All right, so what you're saying is that your job's more important than God. What you're saying is, is your job's more important than souls that are going to hell. Is that what you're saying? So your priority's wrong. You got this messed up, man. You got, this, you got your thoughts messed up. Hey, I didn't say come home and preach, go preach the gospel to people for the next eight hours and there's your day. Although I have a feeling that's exactly what Paul did. See, he was a, he was a tent maker. He worked by day. I wonder if he came home and said, man, I'm just too tired. I got to clean the house. You know, I got to feed the dogs. I'm just saying what my wife says all the time. You know, I got I to take care of the kids. I, I got to do this. I don't got time for that. Can I suggest that maybe you need to reprioritize your priorities? <laughs> because you need to have time for that. You should have time for that. It's the most important thing you can do. Because as much as it's great to clean the house, and as much as it's great to mow the lawn, and as much as it's great to wash the car, and as much as it's great to do all the things that we do, none of those things are going to earn you anything when you get to heaven. 
When you're standing before him, man, and you're going to, to your judgment, he is not going to say, well, you washed a car five times. Okay, there you go, five crowns, good for you. Oh, man, you, hey, 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 you made dinner every night for your husband. That's good, that's good. You'd say that's good, right? You'd be like, yeah, no, not good, okay. <laughs> somebody, somebody can make some food around here, okay? Listen, God ain't going to pass out nothing for that. None of that means anything. Now, should you be doing those things? I didn't say don't live life. I didn't say go to, don't live life. But what I am saying is that those things become your crutch to why you aren't doing what you should be doing. You might want to pay attention because none of that's going to get you a crown. What's going to get you a And not that you should be worried about how many crowns I'm getting. See, because then you're making it about you. No, you should. Listen, one day you're going to stand at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the Lamb's going to come down. And either you're going to be casting crowns at his throne or you're not. Just because you're saved don't mean you automatically get crowns. That's not the way it works. I would argue salvation, there are probably people who are going to have absolutely no crowns to pass at the throne, yet still be saved. And let me just go a step further. And I would also say that those people also are not going to have their wedding gown. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, Proverbs 31 will help you. Letter D, how were you changed? You were changed by God's mercy, love, and grace. What do you have? Who are you? What have you done? Listen, prior to Christ, nothing. Nothing. You did nothing good, nothing that was worth anything. Mercy, what does that mean? To forgive to overlook, to not give an offender what he deserves. That's what God gave you. Grace, the gift given to someone who does not deserve it. See all those blessings we were talking about over there, right there, those nine blessings? You didn't deserve any of those, okay? Charity, God, goodwill towards others, to bear, believe, hope, endure all things. What's that, 1 Corinthians 12? No. 13. Listen, charity is giving somebody, sacrificing of self for somebody else, even if they don't deserve it. Even That's what true charity is. Charity's attitude is toward someone. Now, if you were here on Thursday night, you know, right, what we're talking about. We were talking about that whole love of God stuff and how it should be present in the church. I'll bear your burdens. I will believe in you according to truth, hoping for every reward given to someone else, enduring every wrong you received for someone else. Could you imagine if just marriages looked like this? If marriages would just look like that. Now let's trump that and say, could you imagine if Christians looked like this? If Christians weren't worried about what they thought, what they want, how they liked it, the way, if they were worried about the person next to them's comfort where the person next to them is at, wanting to do for the person next to them and not for the person that's sitting right in the chair of self. You know, Rhonda's got to come in here with that chief stuff in here. <laughs> Obviously, very late of scene in her thinking. It's like, yeah, and? <laughs> and I'll continue to do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, the cross reference here is found in, 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 uh, in uh, 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 the, the cross reference to Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 is found in Romans 5, 6, and, 6 through 11, right? Listen, Christ died for the ungodly. He commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us, right? Titus, Paul says, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. After what? After we were foolish, after we were disobedient, deceived, after we were dis uh, 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 serving the, the lust and the pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another, another. Even when we were there, Christ still loved us. So why would we not do the same for someone else? See, we were by nature, letter E. It's your position, identity, uh, uh, was in the man. You were in Adam. That's what you were by nature. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death has passed upon all men for 
all have sinned. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And sin entered into the world, and death by sin. That's what we were by nature. When we were born into this world, that's what we were. We were by nature children of Adam, born in the image of Adam, a fallen creature. Genesis 5.3, if you don't believe me. That's what we were. But, thank God for the second Adam who came to fix the problem so that we wouldn't have to be by nature that anymore. Now we can be what we've actually been called to be. The change from Adam to Christ is by grace through faith. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we should all say, Amen. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand. Well, yeah, you know, grace is just God loves us. But wait a minute. Then that verse don't make a whole lot of sense. What grace do we have access to? See, God commended his love toward, uh, toward us while we were yet sinners. So that's not what he's talking about. We have access to something. What's he talking about? I would suggest what he's talking about is that stuff right up there that gives you the ability to do things in Christ. Yeah. That's what true grace is. That's what it is. And once you understand that grace does not give you freely just to do whatever you feel like doing, grace is actually gives you a, the ability to do what you've been called to do. You'll understand what grace truly is. If Christ did not rise from the dead, all this is wrong. And matter of fact, we are wrong and need to shut up. Or liars, I think is what we got out there, do we? Yeah. Listen, if Christ did not rise from the dead, everything in this book is wrong. And we are all liars. So we need to just shut up. But, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Not heaven, heaven. And we're not wrong. We're not wrong. Christ rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. And the evidence is overwhelming of the fact that he did. Oh, there's no proof of that. You just got to take it on faith. Really? No, you don't. There was a day in time I thought that, and that's why I wouldn't come to Christianity, because I just thought that was all. There. Do you know how much evidence there is to the resurrection of Christ? It's crazy. What's even more crazy is I could prove to you the resurrection of Christ without even using the Bible. There is so much secular evidence to it, it's ridiculous if you're just willing to take the time to go look and actually figure it out for yourself instead of just believing what everybody else has to say. F, God intervened and changed everything for you. You are now in Christ. You were a sinner, but now a saint. Your position has changed. You were dead, but now you're crucified in Christ. Your position has changed. You You'd have, to, you'd have to understand, to lose salvation and get out of the body would mean that Christ got out of you. That would mean then that you did something to get in. Did you die on the cross? Were you there on that day? Did, did someone nail you to the cross? Now, you need to do that spiritually, but that has nothing to do with what actually took place. Don't take the nails out of the cross or put the body back in the tomb. I mean, did you hear what I just said? Yeah. Don't take the nails out of the cross and put your body back in the tomb or his body back in the tomb. No. No, don't do that. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Paul just said, and the world is crucified unto me? Well, that's pretty arrogant, Paul. It's only arrogant, Paul, if you don't understand what Paul's saying. What Paul's saying is, Jesus revealed this to me. I'm the one that he brought this message of the dispensation of grace to. 
I didn't deserve it. I know what I was. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but it was all dung. He's not being prideful at all by making that statement. And here we go. You didn't think we were going to make it, but we are, because so we still got nine minutes, and I'm almost done. That's it. Now I'm going, now I'm going 115. Y'all just made me. Y'all, you, you encouraged me to go longer. Cowboys don't play to 415 today, so I can keep going. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. I, you know, uh, and, and I've kind of talked about this verse with, uh, with Justin and, and, and Jim quite a bit. And, you know, here, here, here's the paradox of these verses. <laughs> I know what it says, but to understand what it really means, man, and have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Here's what the paradox is. If you're in Christ, that's where you are now. That is, I don't know about you guys, but that's, I, I don't, that just blows my mind. I don't even know what to do with that. What? Whoa. Whoa. And so thou, now, understanding that that is what this is saying, let me ask you this. If you're there now, how can you, is God going to boot you out? See where that whole losing your salvation stuff starts having a problem? I mean, we got a problem here. God going to boot you out? Is that how this works? I mean, because if God boots you out, boy, there's a whole lot of Bible verses that God just went, he, he, he just went back on his promises there. And I don't think God goes back on his promises. God quickened you with Christ. God made you sit in Christ. God will inherit you through Christ. It's all about where we sit. When? Now. Your place is in heaven, in Christ. It's not your job to keep the reservation. It's his. In the ages to come, he's not talking about Israel's earthly kingdom. He's talking about you in Christ. That's what he's talking about, okay? How are we reminded of uh, here we are reminded of four activities that God performed on behalf of sinners to save them from the consequence of their sin. Number one, he loved us. And if you were here on Thursday night, you know exactly what we're talking about now. If you weren't, I highly suggest to go back and listen. Okay, because it's going to help you. All right, listen. By nature, God is love. But God would love even if there were no sinners. Because love is a, part of his, is a part of his very being. God would have loved you and died on that cross if you were the only person on earth to die for. You understand? Love is one of God's intrinsic attributes. But when his love is related to sinners, it becomes grace and mercy. God is rich in mercy. God is rich in grace, verse 2 4 and 2 7. And these riches make it possible for sinners to be saved. It comes as a shock to people when they discover that we are not saved by God's love, but by God's mercy and grace. And I'm telling you that statement, just listen to the message that's being propagated at pulpits about the gospel. See what they're saying. Oh, God loves you, He just wants to take care of you. He just wants to love you right where you're at. I didn't read that. I don't know where they got that from. But I can tell you this. That's not what the Bible says. God don't love you where you're at. God don't love you for who you are. And right now, if you've never heard this before, you might be looking at me going, dude, you're a jerk. I'm not a jerk. I'm telling you what the Bible says. You do what you want with it. God does not love you for who you are or where you're at. God loved you in spite of who you are and in spite of where you're at, and he has so much better for you, and that's where he wants you. Yeah. Understand that, because that is the truth. You 
it, 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 it pains me to hear what goes on in many of a church because you know it's just not right. Romans 5, Paul says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per, per adventure for a good man some would even dare die. Again, but God compended his love toward us that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 17, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. Number one, he loved us. Number two, he quickened us. He quickened us. Quickened means he made us alive. We were dead in sin. He made us spiritually alive. It's a spiritual resurrection by the power of the Spirit using the Word of God. It is what exactly what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3 when he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, ye must be born again. That's what he's talking about. Well, I remember, man, and, and you know, having the conversation with my mom before she passed, man. She was just all about up in that. Oh, it's born again. You born again Christians. You're all a bunch of nuts. <laughs> mom. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Okay, Jesus said this. Is he nuts? Well, that's just not what it means. That's not what he's talking about. What's he talking about? What's he talking about then? You know, and then she gives me the Roman Catholic definition of what it says. Well, sorry, Mom, that's not what it says. I mean, great, you can spin it any way you want, but I'm just telling you that's not what it says. He says, the words that I speak to you are in spirit, and spirit is life. The spirit, the, the spirit goes wherever winds he goes, and he quickeneth. I mean, he, it tells you right there, just read what it says. He's not talking about a physical rebirth, mom. What he's talking about is a spiritual rebirth. It goes like this. Born once, die twice. You have a physical birth, you're going to have a physical death, and then you're going to have a spiritual death. And that spiritual death is in a place called hell. Born twice, die once. You got your physical birth, you got your physical death, but then you had your spiritual birth. That's what he's talking about here. Number three, he exalted us. We are not raised from the dead and left in the graveyard. Amen. He didn't leave us in the graveyard. When he told Lazarus, come forth, what's the first thing he said? Take off the grave clothes. Get rid of that old stuff, man. You're not dead anymore. And why do we keep acting like dead men walking? That's what I want to know, Christian. Why? Because we are united in Christ. We've been exalted with him. We are sharing his throne in the heavenlies. What? I don't understand that. All I know is that's what it says. And praise the Lord. Our physical position may be on earth, but our spiritual position is in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. Right now. We're there. Right now, Gary Neese is with us. Mark Trotter is with us. I can't explain it. I don't understand why. All I know is this true. Finally, he keeps us. God's purpose in our redemption is not simply to rescue us from hell. As great a work as that is. His ultimate purpose in our salvation is that for all of eternity, the church might glorify God's grace. I would underline that. So if God had an eternal purpose for us to fulfill, he will keep us for all eternity. Since we have not been saved by our good works, we cannot be lost by our bad works. I know that sounds crazy, uh, but it's true. Okay, Grace means salvation completely apart from any merit or works on our part. Grace means that God does it all for Jesus' sake. Salvation cannot be of works because the work of salvation has already been completed on the cross. I'd underline that. This is the work that God does for us, and it is a finished work. John 17, 1 through 4, 19 through 30. When he says, while hanging on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. I can't believe I didn't hear an amen there. Because I'm glad it's finished. 
We can add nothing to it, Hebrews 10, 1 through 14. We dare take nothing from it, yet we do. And I've heard it in the gospels that are being preached in many of a church this morning. We are adding to it or we're taking from it. Do not adulterate it. Paul says, do, if they do, let them be accursed. This is a big deal. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple was torn in two, from the top to the bottom, signifying the way to God is now open. There is no more need for early sacrifices. There is no more need to go to a father. There is no more need for any of that stuff. We don't need any of it. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Yeah. Amen. Come on, man. We should be, we are not Pentecostal in this place, but right now would be a good time to be. We should be hooting and hollering, man. We should be loving this, man. Dancing, going up and down the aisles and barking. I don't care. This is good stuff. Not because you got the spirit in you that you go doing that, but because you are grateful for what he did. Man. One sacrifice. The Lamb of God. Finished the great work of salvation 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross, which, by the way, he made. By the way, he made the earth on which it stood. By the way, he made the nails that were driven into his hands. By the way, he made the person that drove the nails into his hands. And while he hung there, he could have came down at any moment. He was even mocked for not doing it. But you know what? If he would have came down, none of this would have happened. Sin worked against us, and God worked for us. But the great work of conversion is about the beginning, and that is what Paul is trying to explain here in this chapter. Grace, then, is more than just God's love for us. And we are going to get into God's grace next week. I just want to say that's three weeks. And we have gone on time all three weeks. So y'all keep, 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 keep bringing the challenge. Go ahead. Hey, Aaron, just get here on time and you can clap. Okay, buddy? There's nothing more satisfying to me than messing with Aaron. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't get it. I mean, I like messing with other people too, but for some reason, I really get sad. It's probably because I sat there and watched him eat 12 glazed donuts in the span of 40 minutes. I don't know how anybody could do that. That is nuts to me, man. Uh, but he did it. But he did it. Well, listen, man. Even when I was younger, I couldn't do that. I mean, I could eat a whole large Mark's pizza. Y'all know what I'm talking about right now. The rest of these people are ignorant to that stuff. We know, us Rochester people know. Ooh, how do you know about that? Oh, I was going to say, there's no way you, Swigler's hot dogs. Yeah, I'm, I'm hungry now. I know, man, all oh, the white hot dogs. You ever had a white hot dog? You have not had a hot dog if you had a white Swigler's hot dog. I'm just telling you right now. It sounds gross, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Good stuff. Why are you looking at me like that? What, do you think they're not real? Do you think I'm lying about it? I think she thinks I'm lying about it. What? I saw your mouth moving. I think you're lying to me right now. Okay, thank you. All right, Father, we come before you, Lord. We just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word, Lord. I am so grateful for your word. Uh, I'm so grateful that we can have it. Uh, we can... Uh, listen to it, we can receive it, um, but Lord, we need, to, we need to believe it. Lord, I'm thankful that we live in a place where we can gather freely. Uh, I'm thankful that if, if we would just put aside all the craziness of the world, if we would just be one as we can be in you, that Lord, we wouldn't see race or divisions or whatever, we would see that you died for all of us no matter what we are. And Lord, we can be one together with you. Lord, I'm thankful that you did that for us. 
I'm thankful that you loved us enough to do so. And I'm thankful that all of your creation can be reconciled to you. And that one day, one day you're going to do just that. Uh, as you give us a new heaven and a new earth, and for all of us that have accepted your message and accepted you, that we can be one with you for all of eternity. Lord, I ask you to bless the rest of this day. Watch over our meeting. Uh, may it be swift, but yet knowledgeable. And uh, Lord, give us a good rest of our day. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the church said, amen. amen.